Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for those precious brave few who stand up against darkness and terror and strive to uncover the secrets of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm Frank, it's the 8th of June, General Election Day in the UK, so very dark times indeed, and I have in my hands Where Doom Awaits, fittingly enough, the fifth Mythos pack of the Dunwich Legacy cycle. So you probably already know what Where Doom Awaits is, and you probably know what this sort of episode is, but in case you're happening to listen to this podcast for the very first time, this is a first impression episode. How that works, I have tried to avoid spoilers of the player cards in Where Doom Awaits. I have them in a pile in front of me, face down, and I'm about to flip them over and work my way through them and just tell you what I think. My reactions are not meant to be the comprehensive analysis reactions that tell you everything you need to know about the cards. Instead, they're just me looking at the card and giving you a couple of thoughts. So if you're expecting a kind of uh, mechanical deep dive into whether or not a card is good, you're probably not going to get that. But if you want my enthusiasm and my sort of reaction... That's what you're about to hear. So that means if you don't want the player cards of Where Doom Awaits spoiled for you, now is the time to stop listening. Otherwise, we're going to jump in and we're going to take a look. As I always do, I'm going to tell you what I sort of know already about this pack. I think I know of four or five of the cards, and some of them are pretty high XP, pretty meaty cards. So I'm going to be really interested to see if this pack is going to break away from doing what previous packs have done which is having a zero XP card and then a higher XP card, and whether we're going to just get all XP, or whether they're going to save that for the last pack, and yeah, what we're going to get. I also think my prediction that I made to Peter was that there are 14 player cards in this pack. That's not a prediction, I know that. But that that might work out as some neutrals, and also maybe three for two factions, and I think that would be Seeker and Mystic then, if I've got that right. So yeah. Without further ado, let us jump in. And the first card is Leadership. It is a skill for the Guardian class with one wild icon, trait practiced. It has a guy in front of City Hall, like a police chief, punching his fist into his hand, practiced. While leadership is committed to a skill test being performed by another investigator, Leadership gains willpower wild icons. Okay. Wowzers. So it's a skill card. You can only commit it to tests. If you're committing it to one of yours, you're just getting a wild icon. If you're committing it to another investigator, you're giving them a willpower and two wild. Which is just pretty incredible. I know what Peter's going to think about this straight away. Yet more proof that Guardians are the multiplayer class because it's a skill card that has so much more utility. Without it, it's just, yeah, it's half an unexpected courage. But if you have someone else to commit it to, it's a plus three on nasty treacheries that test willpower, or a plus two on almost anything else. Wow, really good. Cool first card. Yeah, okay, cool. I like it, like the punchy fist guy. Card number two. I've had worse. One of the officially announced cards from way back, I think the Where Doom Awaits announcement. It's Lily Chen, like, wrapping up her hands in bandages with sort of broken, I think maybe a car? 
crashed behind her. So this is a zero cost event, but it costs four XP whopping cost, two willpower icons and an agility icon. I've had worse. Spirit traded, which I think is going to be a really interesting trait, but there aren't very many spirit cards yet. Fast, play when you're dealt damage and or horror. So could be damage and horror or could be one or the other. Cancel up to five damage and or horror just dealt to you. Then gain that many resources. So if Umordoth from the Devourer Below hits you for 3-3, you can cancel five of that and get the equivalent resources of a starting turn for playing a zero-cost card. Incredible. This, to me, feeds into something I've been thinking about quite a lot, which is I use the word expensive quite a lot when describing cards. Oh, that's an expensive card, or guardian cards are expensive. And in my head, expensive is really four resources, and I realise I've never really clarified that's what I mean by expensive. So in Guardian, say you want to get a 4-5 automatic down and a beat cop, or a machete and Brother Xavier, say, that's eight resources. And I'd say that that is a, a large cost to play. It's not, it's not impossible to play, but it is a lot. Getting five resources in Guardian for one card is incredible. But also, of course, I am best case scenarioing it here, where... I'm imagining that you're cancelling five damage and or horror, and probably even cancelling someone who's a 2-2 is pretty reasonable as well. Not as good, but just to have this sort of dodge card for free that also gives you resources, yeah, seems really powerful. Maybe it'll give dodge a proper run for its money in a way that really nothing else has, has done. So yeah, I don't have much more to say about that, but I think it's a really cool card. Okay. ho The first Seeker card. That is familiar art. Strange Solution. The crows are coming home to roost now. Strange Solution, subtitle, Restorative Concoction. A one-cost asset that costs 4 XP, Whopper. And no wild icon anymore, but two willpower icons, item and science traded. I think that's the same. You can only include this asset in your deck by upgrading it from strange solution unidentified, and only if you have identified the solution in your campaign log. Okay, that is interesting straight away, because if you've identified the solution and then just subbed it out in your campaign because you're waiting to find out what it does to say you've identified the solution... You're now going to have to put it back in if you're following the rules. Or obviously, for future plays, as soon as you identify it, you sub it out. However, let us find out what it does. It has uses four supplies. Action, spend one supply. Heal two damage from an investigator at your location. Wowzers. Okay, best, best healing card in the game straight up. That's like my first thought. And then I saw the 4 XP and I hesitated slightly as you probably heard in my voice so a little bit like um liquid courage where you get four charges for a pretty cheap cost and liquid courage can potentially heal two horror this is heal two damage with no test or anything like that one cost to get it in play man good that is good healing there straight up do you want to play four xp for this kind of healing tricky to know i think seekers probably love it because they have very low health thresholds but also the utility from that is really powerful at the moment the best healing is probably emergency aid which is 
two cost for two healing once, and this is one cost for eight healing over four actions. I mean, that seems incredible. And I now have this strange feeling that maybe there's another strange solution. So let's carry on and see. There is! Yes! Okay, cool. Second second Seeker card. Strange solution, Acidic Icor. It's also one cost. It's also four XP. I'm holding them side by side here so I can compare. This has two combat icons, though, which is kind of crazy. Item Science. You can only include this asset in your deck by upgrading it from Strange Solution Unidentified, and only if you've identified the solution in your campaign log. The same. Uses three supplies. Spend one supply, fight. Attack with a base combat skill of six. This attack deals plus two damage. <laughs> okay. You could spend eight experience and have one of each, and suddenly your seeker is like a healing brawler. Attack with a base of six. I suppose Daisy with Milan out, paying three for I've got a plan, is attacking for six, or playing one for Mind Over Matter, but not necessarily getting the plus two damage. What a fantastic, useful way of turning a Seeker into a crazy fighter for just a few supplies. Yeah, that's that's my reaction to that. Definitely the four XP buy-in is hard, but imagine just having that down in Rex and then you just, Rex can just do everything, right? You can get clues, and if you need to, you can swing at a six and do three damage per hit, which, like, cleans up most nasties. Okay, cool. Amazing to see the strange solution unidentified having a solution. It's great that it's another player card. I think that's a really cool way of doing it, not just a check-the-campaign log sort of note. And great that it's actually options. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I guess if you take two in your deck, you could then run one of each of these. And you'd, you'd have this amazing flexibility. And there is another Seeker card that's also a strange solution. Wow, Seeker get three cards this pack, as we thought. But they're all the same title. Okay, scrap my comment about you could take one of each, because let's see what the third one is. Strange Solution, Freezing Variant. Also one cost, also four XP. Two agility icons, I see what they've done there. Item Science, the same text about having to upgrade Strange Solution Unidentified. Uses four supplies, so like the restorative concoction. Spend one supply, evade, evade with a base skill of six. Hmm. My, my, my. Solo Seeker suddenly has... An incredible amount of options. Evading in Seeker, I've been using hyper-awareness and making lots of cash from Milan. This is an interesting alternative. Evading at six seems really powerful. Often it's combat that you want to be much higher to make sure you land your hits, and evading you probably don't need to be as high, is my guess. I mean, who evades rats? Hopefully no one. Yeah, interesting. Wow, that I'm going to have to spend time pondering because that is a really interesting combination of three different cards. Talk about amazing branching paths for a Seeker player. That's going to be really interesting to see what people come up with. First rogue card is a unique ally asset. Joey the Rat Vigil. Subtitle, looking out for number one. He is a four-cost asset, zero XP, with intellect and agility icons, ally and criminal traded. 
He has three health and two sanity. Takes up the ally slot. Free trigger. Spend one resource. Choose an item asset from your hand and play it, paying its cost. Murph, you know full well that the rat would snitch on anyone at any time for anything. Truth be damned if the price was right. Jason Marker, The Worlds of Arkham. What a fascinating ability. So you're basically getting a quasi-fast ability to choose item assets that you can pop into your hand. So you've got the Derringer in hand and you need it down. You spend one extra to get it down, but not the action. So it sort of saves you an action. But you've spent four to get Joey the Rat down. Suppose a bit of a good sort of panic button, maybe, that you are holding that machete as skids, but you've decided not to play it, and then you suddenly are swimming in enemies and you need it down? Maybe? Or maybe you're you're swimming in cash anyway and you just want to get the flashlight down and investigate hard? Those are the items I'm sort of going to. Or maybe it's that you're running lucky dice, or are they? And you've reached that point where you think, actually, I really want lucky dice down. I suppose it really feeds into that idea of Rogue being able to pick and choose what they want to do and when they want to do it. Extra actions or doing things for free, particularly if they have resources. I'm struggling a little bit to think of items that I've sort of kept in hand and wished I had. I suppose Jenny's twin 45s? If you've got 10 resources and you're like, oh crumbs, I need them, panic button it. I'm going to pay one and then pay nine and get them in with nine ammo. That's that's pretty good, right? That's where I'm at with that card. Interesting. I like 3-2 for stat line. Like anything above two health or sanity is quite nice for being a soak for you. For rogues, they don't mind so much about that. Does someone else in particular like this? Because all the Dunwich investigators can take it. Or does Wendy like it? I mean, Wendy likes allies like Cat Burglar. Does she like a, a sort of sudden drop of a baseball bat? Maybe? Interesting. What a cool card. I can't wait to see what people have cooked up about it. And the next... Rogue card, yes, this is another card that has been officially announced. It is a zero-cost event called Ace in the Hole. 3 XP, but hold on, listener, it's exceptional, so that means it costs you 6 XP to include, and you're only allowed one in your deck. Fast, so zero to play and doesn't even take an action. Play only during your turn, little stipulation. You may take an additional three actions this turn. And if you've already got Joey the Rat Vigil down, one of those actions is not going to be playing your weapon because you've already played him for free, maybe. I think Ace in the Hole is a really cool, interesting card. 6 XP is hugely steep, but it feeds into this idea of having a really clutch turn as Rogue. I suspect this is really a rogue only card playing into the core strengths of rogue which are additional actions leo de luca is a great example obviously as is quick thinking lola hayes in path to carcosa can take this because it's level three ostensibly so in theory you could have a really active lola but really it strikes me that it's one of these clutch game winning cards that turn where as schizo tool you go from four actions, because you've got Leo down, 
to paying two to get five actions and playing this to end up with eight actions that turn. And that means you can kind of go crazy. We've already seen with the Chicago Typewriter, which is an announced card from the next pack, that you can spend actions on that. And if you've only got three actions in your turn, you're not spending that many. If you've got eight actions on your turn, suddenly spending a couple to get big combat boosts seems really good. I wonder what else you might want to spend eight actions on doing. Maybe there are things in the scenarios that are just going to be time-consuming, and rogues seem to be the masters of time and the masters of getting the most time to do things. I know that some people would like it if rogues were maybe more efficient, but I feel like because rogues have this action efficiency, which is that they get more turns, that means they can get away with being less efficient with things like they only investigate one clue at a time or... Their weapons only give them one damage at a time unless they get a high enough hit. Things like that. Maybe it also means if you're having lots of actions that you will always have time for that burglary and keep your resources topped up. Cool card. I sort of just can't wait in a way to do a standalone and put one of these in for 6 XP and 3 XP on a streetwise or something like that and just giving it a whirl, seeing what it does. That's Rogue done. We're zooming through. Ho-ho! Oh, this card looks... Up. Wow, they've stolen Lord of the Rings art almost. Moonlight Ritual, the first mystic card. This is amazing. It's a woman in a white dress, long dark hair, with a kind of weird pool of water that's being struck by the moon. A zero-cost event. It's a spell. We know we like spells in mystic. It's also insight-traded. Oh my god, I've just glanced at the text there. Holy macaroni. It has an intellect and an agility icon. Spell, insight traded, remove all doom from one card you control. Zero cost event. Immediately I'm thinking, blood packed it up, baby. Pile that on at times when you wouldn't normally, and all of your playing partners are going, why are you costing us turns? You know, you, you've you done that at the wrong time. You should have waited for, waited for the witching hour. And then, boom, you drop Moonlight Ritual and just clear all of that doom off. Amazing. So good, so good. Are there other cards that get Doom? Elisa Graham collects Doom when you push cards to the bottom of decks. And I have a Jim Culver Elisa Graham deck waiting to roll. This might have just earned a place in there straight away. Any of those scenarios that have a six or seven Doom threshold on an agenda where you don't want to be triggering any effects like playing an Arcane Initiate or Alyssa Graham or anything else that takes Doom because you're trying to sort of hold on. You don't want to sacrifice the whole team's actions because you've on turn one dropped an Arcane Initiate. Said, sorry guys, you know, we're all going to lose three actions because I'm in a rush. This counteracts that really well. You lose an action to play the spell, but otherwise, no problem. Agnes, does Agnes want this? Doesn't if, if it was take a horror as well, she would be wild about this. But it doesn't give you horror. Uh, you can grab it with the Arcane Initiate, which is nice. And if you have the the Heirloom of Hyperborea down, it would draw you another card. So that's quite good, but maybe not. I think definitely built into a Doom manipulation deck. That would be, yeah, just really, really good. If only there was a way to take control of some of those nasty cultists, then you could control them and moonlight ritualize them and clear them off that'd be cool what a wonderful card oh delightful just so beautiful well done andrea ugrai for that brilliant art the next mystic card is level two fearless also announced 
And hey, you know, we didn't do a corset review, so let's just hesitate for a moment and look at the fearless art, which is a hooded person holding a lantern up to like thousands of grotesque eyes or scales with tentacles around him or her, and they also have a wicked rifle. Wicked. Like, just so cool. So this is fearless level two. Double will icons now, rather than single, which is the level zero one. It's innate and it's also developed traited, so it's gained a trait. If this skill test is successful, heal one horror. Two horror instead if it succeeds by two or more. Only by standing firm against the darkness can we live to see the light of another day. Maybe we should get sort of Anthony Hopkins to do the voice for that. So I have been going on and on and on about how the practiced and the innate skills might be different. You know, practiced, practiced expert for deduction two and innate to innate developed for fearless and for survival instinct. And this basically tells me that I'm wrong. So it is almost exactly the same as deduction where it modifies the ability of the original card by giving this extra option for an extra clue or in this case an extra horror which is great and yeah a bit of a shame that they missed that but i think it's still fine i think everyone likes this like the 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 action compression to heal horror just from from getting a plus two will for a test anyway i think is really strong agnes loves healing horror to keep her doing damage with her horror pool it's really good but you know generally having horror horror healing is nice and you can also commit this to someone else's test and if they pass you still heal the horror this has the same style text as any of the neutral skill cards so the 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 controller of the card still gets the ability as i understand it so you've got a way of healing horror off yourself when it's not even your turn which is nice the the alternative is clarity of mind which is as slow as syrup trickling out of a jar or liquid courage which isn't in mystic so jim could take a liquid courage but you say well why not take a fearless and do it that way i like it a lot i the thing i really like actually and enjoy just more generally about doing these packs is this is the first cycle of the game and seeing the designers fill out the card pool and fill out the xp tree so that you just have you know when you play like a an RPG, like a sort of Diablo-style game on a computer, and you you can see all of the possible upgrades, like what, what leads to what and how much they all cost, and if you get to level five, you can do this. And I have always loved looking at those. I've loved looking at upgrade charts. I know I'm super cool. But this, I just love that now it's just another option. And yes, it's not the flashiest card, but it's a really strong card as well. So, like, yeah, thumbs up from me. Oh, and the next card I've seen as well, but is so cool. So this is also Mystic. So yes, I was right. Three Mystic cards. Go me. Y unique item asset called the Jewel of Aureolus, gift of the homunculi. Sold. Done. Sign me up for as many copies as I can take with that name. Three cost asset. Three XP. Doesn't come cheap. One wild icon. Item and relic traded and it takes the accessory slot. Is there a time now for the Relic Hunter? Maybe. Reaction. After a skull, cultist, tablet, elder thing, or autofill symbol is revealed during a skill test at your location. Note, not a skill test you've taken, just at your location. Exhaust Jewel of Aureolus. Draw one card, or gain two resources. 
Hello, my name is Jim Culver, I'm a mystic, and I love all of the weird symbols in the chaos bag for trumpeting reasons, but this is just another reason to love them. At this game's heart, you want to be taking tests, you want everyone to be taking tests to succeed. At higher difficulties, you want to minimise the number of tests you take to avoid all the nasty effects that you can get, but intrinsic in this game is that at some point you're sticking your hand in that chaos bag, and at some point the result is not going to be a nice one. It's going to be nasty. If there are things you can get that mitigate that, I'm all for it. I think it, it does then fall into two schools of thought. Do you want to just accentuate your strengths, or do you want to prepare for failure with things like Rabbit's Foot, or other cards that, you know, look what I found, things that leaven that blow. Jewel of the Aureolus isn't asking for a failure, but it's saying when things are getting a bit nasty, you can still be getting card draw out of it. I can imagine playing this card early, in a four-player game particularly, and it just returning so much value. I love as well that it gives you a choice, draw a card or gain two resources. So if you're reaching that point in your deck where actually you are, you will set up and you don't want to see weaknesses... Just take two resources. Resources are good. You can spend them on things. Or the other way round, where you've just been hit by an amnesia and your hand is emptied, and then everyone's going about their business and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to spend the turn drawing. And then someone takes a test and hits a cultist symbol and boom, you've drawn another card. Love it. Just just wonderful. And in the jewel is like a little creepy baby. What is not to love? Okay, survivors, here we go. Oh, Wow! Cool art as well. It is a, like a hunky guy saving a lady. Or maybe she's dragging him into the water. This is a one-cost event entitled A Chance Encounter. Fortune Traited. Another fun trait. And Rex Murphy can't take fortune cards, interestingly. It has will and intellect icons. Nice events having two icons. Choose an ally asset in any player's discard pile. Put that asset into play under your control. At the end of the round, if that asset is still in play, discard it. You've chucked your Leo away because you're running a different ally. I'll pay one and have Leo for a turn and get an extra action. But I've spent the action to get him. Maybe not. What am I liking more? I'm liking that you've lost your ally, your Pete Sylvester, and you've chucked the other one to a test or something like that, and you're popping him out for a turn. That seems nice. I suppose Duke loves this, because if Duke's in your bin, you bring him out for a turn, rather than trying to get all the way back around your deck. That's pretty good. Who else might you want to grab? I mean, if someone's suffering and they've lost... Oh, anyone with one of those... Uh, any of the Academic Army ones, pay one to grab one out, and it does something that draws you two cards, that would be pretty cool. You could basically get a second use out of all of them. Very cool indeed. If we ever see a like seeker slash survivor, yeah, because Rex can't take this, Daisy can't take this, that would be wicked. Do you think Wendy wants to like reuse stray cats by paying one? No, because you'd probably need the enemy already there. I don't know, this is like classic survivor to me. Hugely situational, and that sort of weird survivor deck that has so many weird tricks that handle sort of odd occasions that you think of flair as well. That's a way of fetching an ally and then you lose it. And you think of lure to change movement. They like they have a lot of cards that seem very strange. And oops as well actually is a good example. This one, yeah, 
cool. So what was she doing in that water? We'll never know. The next card is, oh, this looks interesting. It is a two experience survivor skill entitled Stroke of Luck. Interesting side point. Survivors, have they had any cards that are higher than three XP? I don't think so. This is two XP. So it's a skill. It has one wild icon. Nothing special there. Innate and fortune traded. Fortune, interesting. Commit only to a skill test you are performing, so yourself. After revealing chaos tokens for this test, you may choose to exile Stroke of Luck. So you don't have to, just choose to. If you do, this test is automatically successful unless a tentacle token was revealed. So you reveal the token first. Wow, turning the whole idea of the revealing the token being basically the last thing you do in a test on its head. You give yourself a plus one with Stroke of Luck. Whatever comes out, you can go, yep, yeah, I passed, unless it was the tentacle. That means, as Wendy, you could chuck a card, redraw if you've drawn tentacle, and then win by saying, yeah, we'll exile it. If you don't exile Stroke of Luck, it's still in your deck. If you go through all the way through your discard pile and redraw it, you can commit it again. Cool card. It's a guy with a sort of weird old flashlight, and he's lifted a doormat up and found a key. Stroke of Luck. Okay, cool. Interesting card. Are there any other like obvious uses? I think it's just a nice utility card. Chuck in for, for plus one. Yes, only to yourself, but I, I play a lot of Ashcan Pete solo. I wouldn't mind that. Four XP for that effect. It's like almost a sort of um, will to survive, isn't it? But without the four cost and doesn't last your whole turn, you're just saying, yeah, I'll chuck this into a test and maybe it's a hard test. Maybe, maybe you save this for that. You know, sometimes you have this situation where you've got, you've got to pass two tests or you've got to land two hits, say, and the first one you can boost pretty well, and then you're running out of cards in hand or resources to boost or whatever. And so, you know, you go at an eight against four and then you're a, a five against four or something like that. And it's if it's me, what happens is the first test is the one that I draw the zero and then the second test I draw the minus four and I go, yeah, damn you game. This is sort of a contingency against that, isn't it? That you could save this in hand and commit it to a test where you really have nothing else to commit. You've sort of run out of stuff to chuck and it works out all right. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah, and there are two cards left. I know what one of them is, so I'm gonna, it's not this one, so I'm gonna jump to it. It is a three cost event that's three XP, which is steep. Two will icons, which is great. Moment of respite, spirit traded, told you it was a cool trait. Play only if there are no enemies at your location. Heal three horror and draw one card. So first turn, if you're carrying a bit of mental trauma, this feels amazing to drop. I love the idea of this in all of the squishy guardians and in Skidzo Tool who have really low sanity. Yes, you can get to a time where things are getting tricky later on where there might not be no enemies around, but very often there are. Or, I mean... You know, imagine if you're Roland, you kill an enemy, get a clue, you've been beaten up a bit, you've maybe failed a Rotten Remains test, so you're on low sanity, and then you pay three to heal all that horror off and get another card. You're like reset and ready to go. I love it. Going back to what I said about expensive, three XP and three cost in game starts to be like, okay, okay, I'll think about committing to that. You know, it starts to be a, a bit of a tricky cost, but but not prohibitively, I don't think. I think it's nice. I think it's, yeah, it's sort of tasty. I love the idea of maybe rounding out as well a sort of pool of cards that are maybe blocking damage, and then if you're getting the damage, you're healing healing it here. I say damage, I mean horror. The other obvious candidate 
is surely Agnes, as I said earlier, with Fearless. Like, take three horror off her, that's three more damage she can do. What is not to like? Nothing. Why do I keep saying what is not to like, like I'm selling the cards to you? I don't have to sell them to you, I'm selling them to myself. And so the last card, which was actually one before this, but I skipped it round. Ooh, it takes up the body slot. That's a rare slot. Huh, scary guy. Oh, I think he's a mannequin. Fine clothes. A one-cost asset, no XP, one agility icon, pretty piddling, item and clothing traded. Is that our first clothing? Is the bulletproof vest clothing traded? I don't think so. Wow, looks fascinating. It's one, one health, one sanity, body slot. There's nothing quite like the feel of silk against your skin. Reduce the difficulty of skill tests you perform during parlay actions by two. Huh. So... Cast your mind back, listener, to the very first scenario of the corset, where Lita is a parlay intellect four. So then she's a parlay intellect two if you've bothered to put your nice clothes on in your house before the ghoul priest has jumped through your wall. Okay. Pretty reasonable. What other big parlay tests are there? Aren't there uh, in the Clover Club parlay tests where you have to put or is it just a straight willpower test that now i'm flummoxed i've not paid enough attention jazz do you have to parlay jazz maybe you do that is the end of my first impressions of where doom awaits the fifth pack in the dunwich legacy cycle i hope you've enjoyed me waffling on as ever it's not meant to be perfect it's not meant to be all thoughts i'm sure there are other great ideas out there but hopefully this has just been interesting to look at and yeah cool pack i'm really looking forward to trying these out i think particularly strong pack for mystic maybe moonlight ritual so good and i mean amazing to see the strange solution what what a great thing that we didn't expect three outcomes i certainly didn't really cool and yeah be fascinated to see what its applications are like okay as ever thanks for listening bye (laughs)